0: Now feel free, if you have to leave, halfway through my sermon to leave without feeling rude, because I understand some people have to leave.
1: I thought it was because it was going to be long. Yeah, that too. (laughs) (laughs) Today
0: we're actually going to continue our sermon series on the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And in the last sermon on this, Malcolm spoke about how Jesus is more important in defining who we are and how we live than anything else in our lives. How he's greater than anyone or anything. Today we're going to look at how this should influence the way we live. And we're going to examine the theoretical possibility, Mr. Carden, of the turning away and losing our salvation. Because I know this is something we've discussed before. <laughs> it's a possibility that we actually perhaps should be fearful of, losing our salvation. Fear is certainly an emotion that we're all familiar with, I think. There are lots of things that we fear in our lives, and many of us have felt fear in our lives, probably all of us. So what are some of the fears in your life? Anyone want to share what the things are that they lie in bed worrying about at night? Anyone feel comfortable sharing something?
1: My children. Your children. Yeah. 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 My life. Yep. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Hope for the best. Yep. Yeah. What the future's gonna be for the young hmm. children. Yep. Yeah. What's what's life gonna be like in 10, 20, 30 years? Yeah. Next generation coming up. You're making the same mistake over and over. Okay. Good one.
1: Deep
0: water. <laughs> 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 yes. After <laughs> you're almost drowning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyone else have a fear they want to share?
1: Children.
0: Children, yeah, exactly. Children. Yes, that is a fear of yours, isn't it? You need to relax on that one. <laughs> Maybe also like um, do something of so your relationships. So you
1: break them or damage them or yep. head to the ground or something
0: like that. So all of these fears that we've actually said are, are actually pretty, pretty useful fears. These are all rational, reasonable fears. I think probably the greatest fear of humans that we universally feel is the fear of death our own deaths or the deaths of people we love. I remember when I lived in England, receiving this short text message early one morning. Dave died last night. And I immediately had this awful panic. My good friend, who had a heart condition, Dave Burton, had died. It was so unanticipated, I wasn't expecting it. And then I slowed down and remembered the number of my patients were called Dave. Dave. And actually the message was about one of these men. And it was, of course, still very, very sad. It's devastating for his family. But for me, it was a relief knowing that my friend, Dave Burton, actually hadn't died. He wasn't sick and hadn't died overnight. Some of us spend too much time thinking about death, of course. And some of us probably spend very little time thinking about it. But if we're honest, most people fear death. Why wouldn't we? I, I love life. I don't want to die. I love my family and friends. I don't want them to die. I don't want them to be suffering in pain either. So fearing death, it's not irrational. It's reasonable. It's a rational fear. Of course, this fear can make us do irrational things or live in a way that isn't conducive to good living. Fear of sickness and death, I think, is what has driven the COVID response of governments around the world. So we all long for this way to overcome death, don't we? People throughout history have dreamt about immortality in some way, either through a potion or through an afterlife, through heaven. We all dream of a better future, and that's what Hebrews 11:16 says when it talks about the great fathers of the Old Testament faith. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That's possibly the deepest desire and goal of the human heart to find a better place a heavenly place where life is good and where life is eternal this is why Jesus came he came to bring us salvation a way to overcome death a way to find God and to find heaven now I realise we didn't read through the Hebrews passage did we? we went straight to it I wonder whether we'll stop here and we'll read the passage. Uh, who'd like to read? Yeah,
1: I'll read Thanks, Sasha. <clears throat> well, by that, one offering he forget forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says... This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with the Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. For in just a little while the coming one will come and not delay. and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people, in days of old, earned a good reputation. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them.
0: Thanks, Sasha. So let's go back to the slide, uh, which has the heavenly homeland. That's what the people in the Old Testament we're waiting for that's why they followed god waiting for that heavenly homeland and we know that's why jesus came he came to bring us that salvation that way to overcome death the way to find god and to find heaven that's what hebrews says about salvation and overcoming fa- and overcoming death it says this we're not like those who turn away from god to their own destruction we're faithful ones whose souls will be saved. That's the promise in the Bible for all who are faithful to Jesus. Salvation. Be faithful to Jesus, your soul will be saved. And this happens because Jesus can take away the root of what causes death. He can take away sin and evil. Because it's only when we're pure and when we're holy that we can come into the presence of the true and perfect eternal living God. Whilst we're still stained by sin and evil, we can't come into his presence. We can't live eternally in heaven. So we need Jesus to remove that stain of sin. We need him to make us pure. We need him to bring forgiveness. And that's something that happened through the sacrifice on the cross. Hebrews ten, fourteen and seventeen speak about this. For by the one suffering, the, the one offering, the sacrifice on the death on the cross, Jesus forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Then he, God, will say, I will never again remember your sins and lawless deeds. That's a profound and beautiful truth. It's very powerful. God's not going to remember our sins or our lawless deeds. And so he'll bring us into this eternal home. He'll bring us to heaven death will be overcome. This message of the Bible, that the follower of Jesus will be saved from death, of course, has one big problem. It's a very big problem, don't you see it? I'm sure you do. The problem is, we're promised salvation from death, and yet, we still die. All Christians in history have died. We're all going to die. So how do we make sense of this? Well, in the biblical view, death isn't just the physical act of the body shutting down Breathing stopping, the heart stopping beating. Death's also the permanent separation from God. The God who gives and sustains life. And it's this that Jesus saves us from. He saves us from permanently being separated from God. That's what hell is. An unbroachable, unfixable separation from God. Jesus pulls us out of that grasp of hell. Brings us into life with God. Which is resurrected eternal life that continues even after our physical death. That's what salvation means being saved to become a citizen of the city of God or of heaven. This idea of salvation is complex. It's something that happens in a moment, and yet it's also something that's going to happen in the future. So, salvation represents both a moment and a journey. It's got a beginning moment, it's got a journey, sometimes short, sometimes long, and then it has an end moment. A few years ago, I had a three week holiday, and we spent some time up in Cairns meeting some friends from the UK, who flew into Cairns and joined us on our holiday. And we drove up to Cairns in our trusty Volvo, it was trusty then anyway, which I just (laughs) sold. (laughs) It took two days to get to Cairns. We stopped and stayed in Rockhampton on the first night. So when did my holiday begin? Did it begin the moment we left the Gold Coast? Yes. The long drive up to Cairns wasn't really much a holiday, was it? We were just sitting in our car. But was it part of our holiday? Or was it once we reached our destination of Cairns? Is that when I had my holiday? It's not a perfect analogy, but in some sense it gives you an idea of what salvation is like. The day I decided to follow Christ, to lead my old sinful way... That's the day God forgave me, took away my sins, washed me clean. That was my salvation. One day, I'll rise with the saints, transfix my eyes on the face of Jesus in heaven. That's when I'll truly have finished being saved. And it's, that's also salvation. The first one was like my conversion. And then the rest of my life is like the journey. And then being resurrected into heaven is like reaching the destination.
1: So Kansas. Yeah, hands is like heaven.
0: So you can see salvation is presented in the Bible as both a moment now and a future moment and a journey to reach that moment. And like on any journey, we're actually allowed to turn back. I know this is a controversial theological idea. <coughs> People disagree where the truth lies. But according to the Bible, it is possible to turn away from salvation. Now, you could say if we move outside of time and could look at our life from start to finish, we'd know if someone was saved or not. And perhaps that's what it's like for God. But that's not what it's like for us. That's not our experience. From our perspective, we can't see that future. And so we're warned very clearly in many instances in the Bible that it's possible for us to turn our backs on God, to stop walking along the path of salvation. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is walking with us now. He guides us. Even though we can't see him, he's here supporting us. He walks with us and he won't ever leave us. But we can leave him. We can turn away from God. Hebrews 10.35 and 38 say, So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. God says, My righteous ones will live by faith. I'll take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. You can probably think of people who you know and love, who've been passionate followers of Jesus, who then decided to turn away and leave the faith. Over the years, we've sung plenty of Marty Sampson songs uh, from Hillcrest to church. Here are some of the words that I've sung many times in churches. In 2002, Marty Sampson wrote these words in Now That You're Near. Jesus, you're all I need. Hold me in your arms, never let me go. I want to spend eternity with you. You know, the song about you, Tim. <laughs> then 2003, in To the Ends of the Earth, he wrote this. I know that you've called me. I've lost myself for good in your promise. Jesus, I believe in you. For you alone are the Son of God. And then 2015, we sing this one um, quite frequently here. He wrote in O Praise the Name. I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. For years, Marty Sampson was one of the backbones of the worship team at Hillsong Church, living out his faith, sharing it with millions of people around the world, singing about his salvation with Jesus, through Jesus. On August 10th, 2019, this is what he wrote on Instagram I'm genuinely losing my faith. Then on the 23rd of August, to the church of Jesus. I adore you Christians. It's ama- it was amazing being one of you. But I'm not anymore. The New Testament presents the very real possibility of losing your salvation. And our, ex- our experience confirms this. We can turn away from God if we want to. This happens for different reasons for different people. Some simply stop believing that Jesus was real. They'll say something like, I don't believe in a God that could allow suffering. Or if God was real, he'd prove himself to me. They don't want to receive Jesus as he came. They don't want to believe in God in the way that he has revealed himself to us. They want a God in their image. Not the other way around which reminds me of the quote from The Chosen when Mary of Magdala was speaking to Nicodemus and she said this profoundly meaningful statement about Jesus. I follow him. It's not the other way around. We can't tell God what he's going to be like. He tells us what he's like. Others stop believing because they stop caring about God. They don't actively stop believing. They just stop caring because other things become more important. Things like becoming rich. Jesus warned us about this in the parable of the sower. Remember he spoke about the farmer sowing seeds? Some of the seeds fell among the thorns, didn't they? Those thorns are the worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, and they swallow up seed, making it unfruitful. That's how Jesus described it. Some people simply stop caring about Jesus and let other things become their priority. And so they stop on that journey with God to heaven and then some people make an active decision to turn away from God even though they believe in him because there's something else in life that they love more and they don't want to give up even though they know they have to so I had a friend, um, I won't say his name he often talked about his religious faith and he was a committed Christian he read the Bible frequently then he got a girlfriend and he loved sex got a job in the gambling industry, and he loved money. Doc and I, <laughs> sorry, I almost said his name, we spoke about this on a few occasions, and I got an insight into how he was thinking. He said he knew he shouldn't be having sex with his girlfriend that he wasn't married to. He said he knew he shouldn't be pursuing money. But, this is what he said, that sex feels so good, Graham. And I love spending money. So he made the decision that he wanted these more than God. Jesus warned us about this, didn't he? Enter in the narrow gate. That's why there are warnings in the book of Hebrews about falling away from faith and losing our salvation. Because it can happen. It does happen. The consequences are eternal. But we know this. We've read the warnings. We've seen it happen in people's lives. We can do something about it. Turning away from Jesus is a personal choice that anyone can make, but it is a choice. You've got to choose to do it. Once we've committed to following Jesus, we can either continue in that choice, or we can choose to turn away from it. This is what Hebrews says about it. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. But although turning away from Jesus, turning away from God, is a personal choice, it's connected to something larger. It's connected to community. Have you ever noticed how personal choices are easier to make when done in concert with other people in a community? When I was a kid, I always found it easier to break rules when I was in a group. (laughs) I think that's why boys like to form gangs. When we're part of a group, we feel bolder to act in certain ways and to make certain choices. And I'm not immune from this. When I was in, I think it was year four, my friends and I, one hot day, got some metal tacks, stuck them in our shoes like that. And then we'd go around rubbing our foot on the ground, heating up that metal tag, and then putting it onto the legs and thighs of other students. <laughs> so, so we could burn them, cause some pain. Laugh about it now, but can you believe I did that? <laughs> I was normally a really good kid. I hated getting in trouble. I think I had a reasonable moral compass, and yet, <laughs> and yet I joined in doing this. <laughs> like, I? Sounds like good dad. I felt safe doing something wrong because I was in a group of other people doing the wrong thing. In the same way, it's easier to sound the right track when we're in a community of like-minded individuals and friends who encourage each other to stay on the right track. That's why, for example, parents care so much about their, their kids' peers at school. My brother-in-law, Sam, is a school teacher. I heard him say a few years back that actually the most important thing about high school wasn't actually the quality of the teachers, but it was rather that the kid has a good peer group. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 talks about the importance of being part of a church for this very reason. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. It's critical for someone on the journey of heaven to stay part of a church because the church is going to encourage that person to remain faithful, to remain loving, to remain merciful, to keep praying, to keep connected to God. Of course, the church doesn't keep someone faithful, though, does it? Being part of a church doesn't bring salvation. For you to continue on the journey towards heaven until the end of your earthly life requires you to stay faithful. No church can do that for you. No member of the family can do that for you. Only you can do that. And there are two things that Hebrews encourages you to do so that you stay faithful. One is to keep one eye on the future, on the prize of heaven, on eternal life with God. And two, keep one eye on Jesus in the present. Be connected to God in the moment, right now, every moment, through prayer, reading scripture, doing works of kindness, compassion and love. There's no doubt that faith is connected with actions. If I'm lying, hating, stealing then I'm not following Jesus. Hebrews 10.22 says Draw near to God with a sincere heart. Verse 23 says To not swerve from faith. Verse 24 says To love and to do good deeds. A heart of prayer. Hands that are doing good work of compassion and love. Minds that meditate on the scripture. These are essential in the journey of salvation. They're not what save us but they're essential nonetheless in the journey of salvation. And so if they're neglected, a person might end up turning away from God. Humans aren't very good at multitasking. When we're, say, writing an assignment or preparing a sermon, if we're listening to an audiobook or flicking through YouTube at the same time, the assignment or the sermon won't get done. I've got to write one sentence at a time to get my sermon prepared. If I don't keep writing, because I allow myself to get distracted with other things, it won't be prepared. And it's the same for life as a Christian. If I don't keep taking steps of faith with Jesus, if I don't pray, if I don't read scripture, if I don't seek to do the daily good works of kindness and compassion that God calls me to do, I may very well be drawn away from distri- by distractions of wealth or career or prestige, and I may not finish that journey of salvation. Of course, there are times when walking with God is really hard. Prayer, scripture reading, doing good works, that requires discipline and is actually hard work. And often, Christians who try to live this way are ridiculed by a world that doesn't know God, that doesn't recognise Jesus. And some places in the world, it's not just ridicule, it's real persecution. When things are hard, it's important to remember the hope, the prize. When writing an assignment and trying to get it done by a due date, it really helps to think about the reward that's coming once it's finished. It might be hard to write the assignment, but finishing it will mean passing the subject, getting the degree. Sometimes that prize is all that keeps a student going, hoping that prize. This might be also true for us at times in our journey towards salvation. We know that Jesus is saving us. We can't do it on our own, but we need to hold on to him and that hope. We need to keep our eyes set on that prize of heaven. That's what the great fathers of faith did in the Old Testament. God promised Abraham a land of a land and a people. And so Abraham set out for a thousand kilometer journey to a land he didn't know four thousand years ago. He no doubt had significant Hardships on that journey. But he kept going because he trusted in what God had said. He trusted in the prize of a land and a people of his own. In your journey of faith, remember, God's preparing a beautiful heavenly home for you. If you trust in Jesus, in the forgiveness of sins through his death and resurrection, if you love God and have committed your life to following him, you've been saved. And you're being saved. You're on that journey to heaven. As you journey, keep one eye on that future home with God. And keep the other eye on your present walk with Jesus. All your fears then, including the greatest fear of death, all of those will dissolve away and you will be saved. That's what the call of Hebrews is in our life. And that's my reminder
1: for today for all of us.